Even the traces of exhaustion Artyom had seen from the man seemed to have disappeared, and something beast-like had emerged in him again. Artyom had to run to keep up, but when it seemed that they had broken away from the thing that was pursuing them, and exorbitantly ace trip on a cross tie and fell head over heels on the ground. His face and hands were covered in blood. Out of inertia, they ran another dozen paces before they took in the ace had fallen and Artyom then quickly. Artyom thought quickly that he didn't really feel like stopping and going back for the guy. He wanted to leave him for the dogs. The short arse bootlicker, with his amazing intuition, he wanted to keep going before the thing got, got to them. It was disgusting, it, it was a disgusting thought, but Artyom was seized by such a compulsion to flee and leave the fallen man that his conscious, conscience had gone silent. Therefore, he felt a certain disappointment when Khan rushed back and, with a powerful jerk, lifted the bearded man to his feet. Artyom had secretly hoped that Khan, with his more than disdainful attitude towards others' lives, and indeed their deaths, wouldn't hesitate to forget the, the guy and leave him in the tunnel like the burden he was and rush on. Having ordered Artyom to take one of the injured ace's arms. He took the other and pulled them along. This made running considerably more difficult. Ace was moaning and grinding his teeth from pain with each step, but Artyom didn't feel anything for him apart from growing irritate ir from growing irritation. The long, heavy machine gun was painfully knocking against his leg, and he didn't have a free hand to hold onto it. But death was very near. If they stopped and waited for half a minute, the ominous vortex would overtake them, whip and tear them into the smallest particles. In the case of a second, they would no longer be of this universe, and death cries would burst from them with unnatural speed. These thoughts didn't paralyze Artyom, but mixed with malice and irritation, they gave him strength and he gained more and more with each step, and suddenly it disappeared 
vanished entirely. The feeling of danger was released so suddenly that one's consciousness was left unusually empty, like the gap after a pulled tooth, and it was as though Artyom was now filling around with the tip of his tongue for the pit. There was nothing behind them, just tunnel, clean, dry, clear, and completely safe. All that running from fear and paranoid fantasies, the unnecessary belief in some sort of special feeling and intuition, seemed so funny to Artyom now, so silly and absurd, that he burst out laughing. Ace, who had stopped next to him, looked at him with surprise at first, then Oso started to laugh. Khan looked at them, annoyed, and finally spat at them. Well, what's so funny? It's nice here, right? So quiet, so clean, right? And he walked on alone. Then Artyom realized that they were all together only about fifty paces from the station, and that light was clearly visible at the end of the tunnel. Khan waited at the entrance, standing on the iron stairs. He had had time to smoke some kind of homemade cigarette, while they laughed away, completely relaxed, made the fifty paces. Ardium was penetrated by a feeling of sympathy and compassion for the limping ace who was moaning through his laughter. He was amazed at the thought that had flashed through his mind back there when ace had fallen. His mood, his mood was dramatically improved and therefore the sight of Khan tired and emaciated scrutinizing them with a strange look of suspicion seemed a little unpleasant to Artyom. Thanks, Boots rumbled on the stairs and Ace climbed up onto the platform saying to Khan, if it wasn't for you, you, well, it would have been all, it would have been over, but you, don't leave me there. Didn't leave me there. Thank you. I, I don't forget things like that. Don't worry, Khan responded without any enthusiasm. Why did you come back for me? You're interesting to me as somebody to talk to. Khan flung his cigarette butt on the ground and shrugged his shoulders. That's all. After climbing a little higher, Artyom understood why Khan had gone up the stairs to the platform and not continued along the path. In front of the actual entrance to Kitai Garad, the path was heaped with sandbags as high as a man, 
Behind the sandbags was a group of people sitting on wooden stools with a very serious look about them. Buzz cuts and wide shoulders, shoulders under beaten up leather jackets, shabby sports trousers. All this looked rather amusing, but for some reason it hadn't produced any merriment. Three of them sat there and on a fourth stool there was a deck of cards which the thugs had strewn carelessly about. There was such abusive language being used that listening to it, Artyom couldn't make out even one normal word in the conversation. To get through the station, you could only pass along a narrow path and up the little stairway, which ended with a gate. But diagonally across from the path there was even more imposing there was there was an even more imposing pack of four guards. Artyom threw them a look, shaved heads, watery gray eyes, slightly bent noses, cauliflower ears, wearing training pants with a heavy TT imprinted on the stripe. And there was an unbearable smell of fumes, which was making it hard to think. So what do we have here? The, four, the fourth guard said hoarsely, examining Khan and Artyom behind him for, from head to toe. Are you tourists or what? Or traitors? No, we're not traitors. We're travelers, and we have no goods with us, Khan explained. Travelers, grovelers, the thug rhymed, the gaffwood loudly, and, and, and guffled, guffled loudly. Hear that, Kolya? Uh, travelers, grovelers, he repeated, turning to the card players. They responded enthusiastically. Khan smiled patiently. The bull of a man lent one hand, leant, leant, leant one hand against the wall, blocking their way. We have here a kind of costumes operation. You know what I mean? Or we have here a kind of custom operation. You know what I mean, he explained. Cash is the currency. You want to go through, you pay. You don't want to want, want to, then you can't get then you can, can get lost. Who's pre, who's prerogative? Artyom protested indignantly. That was a mistake. The bull didn't probably quite get what he'd meant, but he'd understood the intonation, and he didn't like it. Pushed Khan 
to the side. He took the heavy step and got right up into Artyom's face. He lowered his chin and gave the young man a severe look. His eyes were completely empty and seemed almost transparent. They lacked any sign of reasonable mind. Stupidity and malice. That's what they emitted. And though it was hard to hold his gaze and Artyom was blinking from the tension, he felt how fear and hatred was growing in those eyes as they sat there at the tunnel entrance watching people come past. What the fuck, the guard said threateningly. He was taller than Artyom, but more than a head and three times as wide. Artyom remembered the legend someone had told him about David and Goliath. Though he was confused which was which, he knew that it ended well for the smaller and weaker of the two, and this gave him a certain optimism. Whatever, he unexpectedly plucked up the courage to say. This answer upset the man for some reason, and he spread out his short and fat fingers, and, with a confident motion, he put all five of them on Artyom's forehead. The skin on his palms was yellow, coalesced calloused and its stank of tobacco and car grease, and Artyom didn't have time to make out all the many aromas of it because the thug pushed him backwards. He probably didn't have to apply much force, but Artyom flew a meter backwards and knocked and knocked Ace knocked into Ace, who was standing behind him, over two. No, it knocked Ace, who was standing behind him, over two. They both fell onto the little bridge while the thug returned to his place. But a surprise awaited him there. Khan, who'd thrown his bag on the ground, was standing there, gripping Artyom's machine gun in his hands. He demonstrated click. He he he, he demonstratively clicked open the safety catch, and with a quiet voice that indicated that not, that nothing good could come out come of all this. So much so that even Artyom's hair was standing on end upon hearing it. He pronounced, Now why so rude? He hadn't said anything much, but to Artyom, who was floundering on the floor trying to get to his feet, burning with shame, these words seemed like a dull, precautionary growl, which would likely be followed by a quick and hard tag. He stood up, finally, and 
tore his old machine gun off his shoulders and trained it on the offender with the safety catch undone. Now he is ready to pull the trigger at any moment. His heart was beating hard and hatred definitely outweighed fear on the scales of his feelings and he said to Khan, let me take care of him. And he was surprised himself at how unhesitantly ready he was to kill the man for pushing him over. The sweaty shaved head was clearly visible in the crosshairs of his scope, and the temptation to pull the trigger was strong. After that, what would be, would be, but most important was to get rid of this piece of filth right now, to wash him in his own blood. Alert, the bull brawled. Khan pulled the pistol out of his belt with lightning speed and slid to the side and he took aim at the customs officers who had leapt from their places. Don't shoot, he managed to yell at Artyom and the animated scene was frozen again. The bull standing there with his hands up on the little bridge and a motionless con aimed at the three thugs who hadn't managed to grab hold of their machine guns from the pile they made nearby. There's no need for blood, Khan said quietly and imposingly, not asking, but more likely giving an order. There's a rule here, Artyom, he continued, not taking his eyes off the three card players, who were frozen in absurd poses. The skinheads probably knew the price of the Kalo, Kalish, Kalishnikov and its lethal force as such a, at such a distance, and therefore they didn't want to cause any unnecessary suspicion in the man who held them in his sights. Their rules force us to pay duty to enter. How much do you take? Khan asked. Three cartridges each, the guy on the bridge responded. Shall we haggle? Artyom suggested mockingly, pointing the barrel of his machine gun at the guy's belt area. Two, the man offered some flexibility. No, two, the man offered some flexibility, giving Artyom the evil eye, but he didn't seem sure of what Artyom was going to do. Give it to him, Khan ordered Ace. Pay for me too and consider it payback. Ace readily pushed his hand into the depths of his traveling bag and approached the guard. He counted out six shining and sharp cartridges. The man quickly squeezed his fist around them and poured them into 
the protruding pockets of his jacket, and then raised his hands again and looked at Khan, waiting. So the duty is paid. Khan raised his eyebrows questioningly. The bull nodded silently, without taking his eyes off Khan's weapon. The incident is settled, Khan asked. The thug kept silent. Khan reached into his auxiliary bag and took out another five cartridges and put them in the guard's pocket. They tinkled into the pocket and disappeared together with the tense grimace of the bull's face, which had resumed its usual lazy and suspicious expression. Compensation for moral damage, Khan explained, but the words didn't have any effect. It was likely that the bull hadn't understood them, as he hadn't understood the previous question. He was guessing at the moment of Khan's wise statements by Khan's preparedness to use money and force. This was the language he understood perfectly, and probably the only one he spoke to. You can put your hands down, Khan said, and carefully lifted his gun upwards, taking his aim away from gamblers. Artyom did the same, but his hands were shaking. He had been ready to take out the shaved skull of the thug at any moment. He didn't trust those pe- these people. However, his agitation was unfounded. The thug, having relaxed and lowered his hands, growled to the rest of, the, of his buddies and everything was fine. And leaning with his back on the wall, he assumed an indifferent attitude, letting the travelers go by him. Into the station. As he passed, Artyom gave him an obnoxious look, but the bull didn't take the bait and was looking off to the side. However, Artyom heard a disgusting puppy dog and heard Spittle hit the floor. He had wanted to turn around, but Khan, walking a pace ahead of him, grabbed him by the hand and dragged him along so that Artyom was torn between satisfying his urge to turn back and show the sorry guy a thing or two and the other cowardly part of him that just wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. When they had all stepped onto the dark granite floor of the station, they suddenly heard a bellow of stretched vowels behind them. Hey, give me my piece. Khan stopped, took the cartridge clip labeled TT with its round, rounded bullets and flung it over to the bull. The man rather deftly caught the pistol and put it in his belt. 
watching annoyed at how Khan had let some extra cartridges fall to the floor. Sorry, Khan opened his palms. A prophylactic isn't that what, what it's called? He winked at Ace. Katai Garad deferred from other stations that Artyom had seen. It didn't have three arches like VDNKH, but was one large hall with a wide platform with tracks on either side of it, and it gave the alarming impression of an unusual space. The accommodations were lit in the most disorganized way. Weak, pear-shaped lamps dangling here and there. There weren't any fires here at all. Apparently, they weren't allowed. In the center of the hall, generously pouring light around itself, there was a white mercury vapor lamp. A real miracle for Artyom. But there was bedlam surrounding it, so one's attention was distracted and you couldn't keep your eyes on the marvel for more than a second. What a big station, he ex exhaled in surprise. You're only really seeing half of it, Khan reported. Katai Garad is about twice as big as this. Oh, this is one of the strangest places in the world. You have heard, I guess, that all the lines meet here? Look at those rails to the right of us. That's the Tagensko Krasnopresnenskaya branch. It's hard to describe the craziness and disorder that goes on there. And here at Katai Garad, it meets your orange Kolozosko Reskaya and no one from the other lines believe what goes on there. Apart from that, this station doesn't belong to any of the federations and its inhabitants represent themselves completely. It's a very, very curious place. I call it Babylon with affection, Khan added looking around the platform at all the people who were scurrying to and fro. Life at the station was bubbling. It was vaguely like Prospect Mur, but the latter was more modest and more organized. Artyom remembered Bourbon's words about the fact that there were better places in the metro than the wretched market which they walked through at Prospect. There were rows of trays along the endless rails, 
and the whole platform was filled with tents. Several of them were made into commercial stalls. Others were used as shelter for people. The letters S-D-A-Y-U were painted on some of them and that's why and that's where travelers could spend the night. They made their way through the crowd and looking sideways. Artyom noticed on the left hand track that there was an enormous gray blue figure of a train. It wasn't completely there were altogether only three wagons. There was an indescribable roar at the section or at the station. It seemed that the inhabitants never fell silent from a moment and they just constantly talked, screamed, sang, argued desperately, argued desperately, laughed or cried. In several places overlapping the den there was a rush of music and this created an unusual holiday mood in underground life there. At VD and KH here there at VD and KH there were also people who sang enthusiastically, but it was different there. There were only a couple of guitars there, and sometimes people would gather at someone's tent to relax after work. Yes, and, and there was music, sometimes at the 300th meter border where you didn't have to listen hard to hear it coming from the northern tunnel. At the little patrol fire they sang with guitars but mostly about things that Artyom didn't really understand about wars that they hadn't taken part in and which were conducted according to different strange rules about life there above before. He especially remembered songs about some Afghanistan place which Andre really loved to sing, although there isn't much not to understand in these songs. They were all about sadness for fallen friends and hatred for the enemy. But Andre could sing so well that everyone who listened was touched so much that their voices quivered and they had goosebumps. Andre explained to the younger ones that Afghanistan was quite a country and he described its mountains, the passes, the bubbling brooks, the villages, the helicopters and coffins. Artyom knew what a country was pretty well since Sokoy had spent worthwhile time explaining things to him. 
But while Artyom knew something about governments and their history, histories, mountains, rivers, and valleys remained as abstract notions to him. They were mere words which were defined for him by the dis discolored pictures uh, his stepfather had shown him in a geography textbook. Even Andre hadn't been to any Afghanistan. He was too young for that, but he had just heard the songs from his older army friends. But did they really play music like this at VDNKH? No. The songs were pensive and sad. That's what they sang there. And remembering Andre and his melancholic ballads and comparing them to the merry and playful melodies which issued which issued from different corners of the hall, Artyom was surprised again and again how varied, how different music can be and how much it can affect one's mood. Coming up to the nearest musicians, Artyom stopped without meaning too and joined the small group of people not just to listen to the words but adventures through the tunnel under the influence of weed, but to hear the music itself and to look curiously at the performers. There were two of them, one with long, greasy hair tied down with a leather strap around his forehead, dressed in some kind of strange multicolored rags. Jingling, jingling on the guitar. The other was an elderly man with a significant bald spot from the looks of it, and a pair of glasses that had been repaired many times, in an old faded jacket, and he was charming them with some kind of wind instrument, which Khan called a saxophone. Artyom hadn't ever seen anything like it. The only wind instrument he knew was the pipe. There were people who knew how to play it well, cutting ins insulating tubes of different diameters, but they only made them to sell. People didn't like pipes at BDNKH. And furthermore, the horn looked a little like the saxophone, which sometimes was used to sound the alarm if something was hindering the siren that was usually used. On the floor next to the musician lay an open guitar case in which lay a dozen cartridges when the long-haired when the long-haired one had finished singing his heart out, he said something particularly funny, accompanying it in an amusing grim grimace. 
The crowd chuckled with joy, and applause broke out, and another uh, cartridge flew into the case. The song was about the wanderings of a poor devil. The song about the wanderings of a poor devil had ended, and the hairy guy leaned on the wall to relax, and the saxophonist in the jacket then took to playing some kind of motif that was unfamiliar to Artyom, but evidently popular here because people started applauding and a few cartridges flashed through the air and into the red velvet of the case. Con and Ace were discussing something standing near a tray. They weren't telling Artyom to hurry up, and he could have stayed there another hour probably, listening to the simple songs if they hadn't suddenly stopped. Two powerful figures approached the musicians with an unsteady gait, and they were very reminiscent of and dressed similarly to the thugs whom they'd met at the entrance to the station. One of the approaching figures crouched and started to unceremoniously remove the cartridges from inside the case, pouring them into the pocket of his leather jacket. The long-haired guitarist rushed at him, trying to stop him, but was quickly knocked over by a fierce blow to his shoulder and had his guitar torn away from him, lifted up in order to smack it down to shatter the instrument on the side of the column. The second thug pushed the elderly saxophonist against the wall with little effort when the man tried to get away to help his friend. None of the audience standing around the musicians stepped in. The crowd thinned noticeably, and the ones who were left either covered their eyes or pretended to be looking at the goods for sale lying on the tray nearby. Artyom burned with shame for them and for himself, but he decided not to get involved.